holy cow, it's quiet. That makes me nervous. Just talk to each other really quick. Just say something to the people next to you. Just have a little quick conversation. Get a little, it's feeling better. It's feeling better. Like when it's super, super quiet, I get flashbacks to high school right before a pop quiz or something, and it just freaks me out just a little bit. Um, good morning. So this morning, we are in Matthew chapter 5. You know, we, we were going we're gonna to be there for, uh, gosh, another month probably. Um, I hope you're okay with us just kind of taking our time. So this morning, we're in Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. So you can go ahead and start finding that on your phone or, or in the Bible. If you don't have either of those, we'll have them up on the screen for you. But while you're turning there, um, what you're going to see is that this morning's text, it's all about the law. Um, so... This is one of those, those messages that I have to teach to get to the next four, okay? So um, when we get done with this, you'll be like, so what do we do with that? I mean, honestly, come back because the rest of chapter 5 is going to deal with, like, he's teaching this to get to the rest of chapter 5. Does that make sense? So if you're sitting here the whole time I'm talking going, like, what do we do with this? It's a good question. Um, read chapter 5, and you'll start to, it'll start to make more sense. But it's all about the law, and it got me thinking about... Um, like dumb laws, right? Uh, dumb rules. Um, here, here's a couple. This is from our own, this will make you so proud to be American. These are from states in our country. In Juneau, Alaska, flamingo owners are prohibited from bringing their flamingos into a barber shop. In Arkansas, it's illegal to honk your car horn at a sandwich shop after 9 p.m., in Arizona, it's illegal to refuse someone a glass of water. Now, I like that. Right? Any runners in the house? You're like, that's a great law, right? In Tennessee, it's illegal to share your Netflix password with others. Is it everywhere? I don't know. I, I know it's illegal in Tennessee. And I know that like 80% of our church is glad they don't live there. Because you're using somebody's password. <laughs> Guarantee it. In Indiana, it's against the law to catch a fish with your bare hands. In South Dakota, it's illegal to fall asleep in a cheese factory. Bear wrestling matches are illegal in Alabama. I was surprised by that, actually. Like The deeper the south, I, I would have... Of course, maybe down there, like, there are no bears. Who knows? I don't know. In Rhode Island, it's against the law to race horses on the highway. And in Florida, it's illegal to sell your children. <laughs> Some of y'all right now are like, I'm, your, your kids are at the age where you're like, I'm so glad I don't live in Florida because I'm thinking about it, right? Um. And sometimes laws can be over the top. Sometimes um, just rules can be over the top. I remember one time when we first got married, um, I surprised we were both uh, getting our master's degree, and it was crazy. It was like one of those seasons in our life where if you'd have asked us, like, who in, your, who in your marriage does the laundry, who does the cooking, who does the cleaning, our answer would have been whoever gets home first. I mean, it was just one of those seasons. And so um, I decided one night I was going to surprise Wendy, and so she got home from work. I had packed a, um, a suitcase that's always scary, like, just to think you know what she might need. But I packed a suitcase. We got in the car, and she's like, where are we going? And we, we went to Shoney's. Um, <laughs> hold on. Shoney's Inn. 
right? Do y'all know they used to have those? Do they still have those? I don't think they do. So in Columbia, South Carolina, there was a Shoney's Inn, which is a hotel, which was right next to Shoney's. And this is a win-win because Shoney's restaurant, their breakfast thing, it'll kill you. It'll kill you. But the bacon, oh, God. Like you just pick it up and it's a ball of bacon with grease just dripping off of it. And it's so bad for you and so good all at the same time. Anyway, so the way it worked was I had made our reservation. And so, like, when I got there, the the reservation included a night in the hotel. And it also included, like, um, Shoney's breakfast the next day, which is the real reason I did it. Um, So I walk in. And I'm like, I'm Paul Jenkins. I'm here for, you know, we have a, a room reserved. And, um, and the lady at the counter is like, you know, can I see your driver's license? So I pulled my driver's license out. And I handed it to her. And she looked at it. And she said, oh, you're, you're from Columbia. Yeah. Yeah, we can't give you a room. I was like, what, what do you mean? Yeah, we don't rent to people that live within 100 miles of here. I was like, you know, that's almost to Augusta, right? And she said, yeah, but, like, we've just had so much trouble with, like, during prom season, high schoolers renting, like, hotel rooms, and they trash them. I was like, you know, I'm not a high school student, right? I'm married. I did that like in her face. <laughs> She's like, I'm sorry. I said, I've already given you my credit card. Like, you actually have a room. Yeah, but we can't give it to you. But if you don't give it to me, it's going to be empty. You're going to lose money. I know, but we, it's, it's our policy. I said, it's a stupid policy. Now, Wendy's in the car, Right. So I felt free. I felt so free. I was like, now this is a stupid policy, and I need to talk to a manager right now who can make this right. She literally called. She said, he's not here. I said, call him. She called the manager, put him on the phone, and the whole time I'm thinking the customer's always right, right? Wrong. I explained. <laughs> I see where you slipped in right there. I saw that. Man, it's, it's getting uncomfortable now. Um, I, I explained the whole thing to the manager, and his response was, that is our policy. I, 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 you ever get so mad you can't see straight? I got so mad, I took my credit card back. That was good. I took my license back. I said, that's stupid. And I turned to walk out. And as I'm walking out, they had those automatic doors that, like, when you step on the thing, you have to wait till it opens. I didn't wait, y'all. I mean, I felt so much power. I was like, I hit that pad, and it didn't go through, and I just went, bam. That thing came off the track, went over there. I, I don't know what happened after that because I got in the car and left. You know, <laughs> stupid, right, stupid. I, I took a youth group camping in North Carolina, and we drove through Shelby, and I paid. I, tried to, I, I bought all these groceries. I gave them a church check from our church in Lake Wiley, and they said, we don't accept checks from Lake Wiley. Why not? We've just had too many bad checks from Lake Wiley. I was like, this is a church check. That did not help my case at all, right? Sometimes, like, these, these rules, they're so stupid, they don't make any sense. And so what happens when rules don't make sense, when laws don't make sense, it encourages us to look for loopholes, right? I read about a lady who was going on an airplane flight, because that's what they are, airplane flights. She was getting on a flight. She was going through TSA, and she had a 12-ounce bottle of Gatorade. And y'all know that didn't get by. They were like, we have lost great stuff getting on an airplane. And they said, I'm sorry, ma'am, that can't go. It's, it's too big. And she's like, it's Gatorade. Yeah, but it's 12 ounces of Gatorade. It's too big. 
she literally in front of them pulled out four three-ounce bottles, poured the Gatorade into the bottles, and said, how about now? And they were like, you're good. <laughs> now, I, I don't pretend to understand all of the rationale, so I'm not making fun of that rule. Um, I know they're keeping us safe. But my head goes to, if the, if the liquid was dangerous at 12 ounces, it's still dangerous at four three-ounce bottles. But now it's on the plane, right? So I think it encourages us to look for loopholes. It encourages us to, to really, if we're honest, like miss the point of what the law is all about. Laws are there for a reason, but sometimes we miss the point. Um, a couple, couple pictures for you. I'd say this person missed the point of what highlighters are about. It's not a paintbrush, y'all. It's to highlight significant portions of the book, not the book, right? Um, I would say that this, this restaurant missed the point, a veggie burger, but if you'd like to add bacon, this makes no sense to me. And I love this last one. I, I think the dog has missed the point of what a dog crates for, right? I know y'all see the difference between us is you're going that's so cute and I'm like that's stupid why would you be like crammed in there when you have like that's that's what the crate's for like so this morning what I want you to see is that it, we don't want to miss the point like we don't want to miss the point so in, in Matthew chapter 5 verses 17 through 20 we're going to read this and Jesus is going to talk about the law and he's basically what he's saying is don't miss the point okay just just follow along while we read it and, and then we'll we'll Dissect it. Verse 17. Don't misunderstand why I have come. This is Jesus talking. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth. Until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. Verse 19. So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, You'll be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. But I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter. Everybody say never. Never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, it's important to know that when Jesus is referring to the law and the prophets, the law... It's the first five books of the Bible, okay? It was written by Moses. The prophets, there's books in the, in the Old Testament written by prophets, and there's other books that wouldn't qualify necessarily fall into either of those two categories. But if you read commentaries, here's what they'll tell you. When Jesus refers to the law and the prophets, basically, to simplify it, we would think of the Old Testament, okay? So he's saying, like, listen, I didn't come to get rid of the Old Testament. I didn't come to get rid of that. I've actually come to fulfill it. And so he's explaining to them, and like, Hindsight is 2020, right? I mean, this is the year of hindsight. All of us should be wiser in 2020, right? In about 15 minutes, one of you is going to be like, oh, the year of hindsight. It's 2020. Yeah. And it won't be any better when you get it then either. So I'll leave that out of the second service. And when he said amen, I could just, I sensed her saying that, right? Um, we know because we live today that the Old Testament pointed to Jesus. The laws, the prophecies, 
the moral law, everything in the Old Testament pointed to Jesus. We know that. But the people that were hearing Jesus speak that day, this, this was revolutionary. So I, the big idea of today is, is really simple. It just says the point of the law was to point to the king. That was the, that, that's the whole point of the law. So when Jesus says, look, I didn't come to do away with the law, the Old Testament. I actually came to fulfill it because the law pointed to me. It, everything that you've been reading, he's saying to the people that are listening, everything you've been reading in the scrolls, everything you've been taught as a child, all of those promises, all of those predictions, all of that, all of that pointed to me. The people he was talking to, because they didn't have that hindsight, they missed it. He was trying to help them see that he was the point and that he did not want them to miss him. So this morning, let me give you, it's really simple, two ways that we can miss the point and one way that we won't, okay? Two ways that we can miss the point. Jesus basically warns us not to fall for these two extremes of the law, okay? There are two extremes when it comes to the law. We can minimize it or we can maximize it, all right? And Jesus is saying, look, here's two ways that we can miss the point. Let's talk about minimizing the law first. Minimizing the law. This would basically be us today saying, "Ah, who needs the Old Testament, right? In their day, it would have been, ah, do whatever you want, right? We don't need a law anymore. Jesus has come, and now all those things we had to do forever and ever and ever, that's canceled. We don't have to worry about that anymore. So you've probably heard of this as like maybe greasy grace. It sounds so good. It's a little bit unrealistic. Minimizing the law leads to a relationship with no rules and no expectations. And everybody said, amen, right? We want that so much. Outback used to have a slogan, no rules, just right. We love that until we try to live it. And it's like, that doesn't work, right? At some point, somebody stand up in Outback going, you cannot do that. Do not take my food. No rules, just right, mate. Right? No, I'm making a rule right now. That's mine. It doesn't work. We love it, but it doesn't work. Paul addresses greasy grace in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 2. Listen to what it says. He's kind of talking about hypothetically, should we keep on sinning because if we sin, we might get more grace. And here's what he says. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Verse 2, of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Jesus wanted the people that he was talking to to know that he took, this, he took the law so seriously that he wasn't going to lower the standard. He was actually going to raise it. Okay, so just peeking ahead, the rest of chapter 5 is going to go like this. You have heard it said, but now I say. And Jesus actually goes, here was the standard of the law, but here it is now. He's going to raise the standard. And we tend to think of greasy grace like it lowers the standard. I can do whatever I want because God loves me. He'll forgive me. Ah, No, Jesus actually raises the standard. He doesn't minimize the law. He makes it so clear. In verse 18, he said, um, in in, in the New Living Translation, it says, I tell you, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear. You may have heard of the phrase jot and tittle. That's a weird phrase, isn't it? So like, a jot would be like our, the dot on a, capital, on a lowercase i. And then a tittle, like the smallest detail, it would actually be, think of a capital P and a capital R. The little thing that you add to make a P and R, that would be represented by the word tittle, right? Like the smallest detail. He's like, that'll never pass away. 
Don't minimize the law. Now, maximizing the law, that was something that the Pharisees were guilty of. It was a little bit of a, it was the opposite, right? This is when um, you're so focused on each part of the law, each minute part of the law, that they miss the whole thing, right? And so that's what they were guilty of. They missed, you ever heard somebody say, you're missing the forest for the trees? Because you're so focused on the trees that you don't see everything else. They've lost perspective. They've maximized the law. One of my high school teachers, um, ah, I think I've shared this before. She taught trigonometry. I don't even know what that is, but she taught it. This was back in the day when we had overhead projectors. And she would teach, and she'd get so into what she was teaching that she would, like, as she's writing on the overhead projector, she wouldn't stop and, like, you know, get a paper towel and do that. She would just be like, and she'd do that, you know, because she's so focused on what she's teaching. She didn't want to lose any time, so she'd just do that. But then what made math so fun was at some point she'd forget that she did that, and she'd, like, start scratching her face. So by the end of trig, you know, I had learned nothing about math. But I had learned a lot about my teacher, right? She had, like, artwork on her face, and she didn't even know it. She just gets so focused. And sometimes we can get so focused on something, we get so close to it, we, we maximize it, we zoom in so much that we can actually miss the point. Now, this is the part of the service where we're going to play a game. Really, are you ready? Crowd participation is encouraged. This is the Zoom-in game, okay? So here's what's going to happen. In just a minute, our amazing people back in the video room, they're going to start hitting buttons, and you're going to see a series of four pictures, and they're going to go from really close in to a little further back, a little further back, a little further back, and you just feel free to, we won't pause long. I mean, I, I literally told them to show the first image, count to two in their head, and go to the next one. So you don't have a lot of time to prove how smart you are. But the minute you think you know what the object is, I want you to feel free. Tell the person next to you, feel free. Feel free to yell it out, okay? We want everybody to feel wrong. All right, let's just, we'll just try the first one. A zipper? No. Oh, so close. Golf bag. Good job. Somebody got on number three. Give yourselves a hand. Wow, that was awful. Later when we watch this recording, I'll say, give yourselves a hand. Okay, go ahead and holler out. Close, close. Nicely done, y'all. That was slide two, and you got it. You're getting so good at this. Let's do another one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Did I hear hockey stick? Nicely done, y'all. Nicely done. I think we have a couple more. <laughs> Some of y'all were like, kettle, kettle corn, popcorn. What? Kettle something, something, kettle something. I, by the way, just I got that one on the first slide. I mean, I had the answers, but whatever. All right, let's keep going. Oh, there you go. Come on. that was Y'all had that jump rope. Nicely done. Nicely done. I think we might have an, two more. What? I couldn't hear you. Unicycle, yeah. Mm -hmm. Y'all are doing so great. Nice. Nice. You said, you jumped right in there. That was fantastic. Is this the last one I think it is? Here we go. <laughs> Who said tennis racket over here? Jay did. Because I think Cecil said windshield wiper. And I was trying not to laugh. 
It's like, it's like, I mean, it was a good guess because all you could see was that one thing. So the point here is that we can get so zoomed in, so focused, we can maximize one point of the law that we could actually miss the whole point of the law. And, and so when Jesus says to, in verse 20, I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers and re- of religious law and the Pharisees, people heard like, wait, what? Because these people were zoomed in, and that's where they missed it. They were so zoomed in. They, they, here's, how, here's just how the Pharisees knew the law. They knew that there were 248 commands and 365 prohibitions. So there's actually, um, in the Old Testament, there's 613 laws, right? 613 laws, and they knew every last one of them. They were so committed to keeping the law that they created the Mishnah. Have you ever heard of that? The Mishnah, I, th- I think, um, do we have an actual page from the Mishnah? There it is. This is from the first printed copy of the Mishnah. You can just keep that up there for a second while I talk this, through this. The Mishnah was, started out as an oral tradition of how the Pharisees would explain how to do the 613 laws. Okay? Let, let me just explain it with this, with this page. I don't know what this says except that the people that have it in the museum told, told us what it, what it is, right? Because I can't read Hebrew. Those two pages are two pages explaining how you can put different seeds in the same field agriculturally. Here's how committed the Pharisees were to ob- observing the law. And a lot of people want to rag on the Pharisees. I would, I would take a church in a heartbeat that was this committed to the Bible. Okay, so I'm not ragging on them. I'm just letting you see how they miss Jesus. There could be a law, one law in, in the law of, in the prophets. So in the entire Old Testament, in the, the first five books of the Bible, there could be one verse about, maybe it would say something like, thou shalt not plant separate seeds in the same field. One law creates two pages, at least in the Mishnah, explaining how to do or not do that, right? When they said things like, you can't work on the Sabbath, one law. But they had so many ways to pull that off. Like they would actually count how many steps you could take that they would not count as work. I think it was like six or seven steps, and they would stop and rest, and then that wasn't considered work. And they would, that's how they would walk on the Sabbath. Loopholes, they found ways around everything, but it was because they were committed to the law. So this Mishnah was, it was passed down by oral tradition. And so it was like everyday life and everyday business was explained in this huge book. How to live out the laws. It was like, it was like a fence around the law to make sure that they never got close enough to the law to break it. They were that committed. Now listen, that is being zoomed in on the law. So when... Jesus said that they needed, the crowd needed to have righteousness that exceeded that. I mean, if we're listening to this like they did, at this point we should be going, do what? How, how in the world? How in the world could we, could we be that righteous? How could ours exceed that? But here's what Jesus said about the Pharisees. People that were that committed. In John chapter 5, verse 39, Jesus said to them, you search the scriptures because you think they give eternal life. But the scriptures point to me. You search the scriptures because you think that they give eternal life. They searched it with a fine-tooth comb. They're always zoomed in on those laws. They're coming up with all kinds of ways to live that out. 
And yet Jesus said, in all of your searching, as zoomed in as you are, because you have maximized the law, you have actually missed me. The scriptures point to me. We miss the point of the law when we minimize it or when we maximize it. Again, I want to make sure you get this. If we minimize the law, we end up having a relationship with no rules and no expectations. And sometimes if we maximize the law, we end up having rules and expectations and no relationship. And neither one of those are good. And that's what Jesus is warning us against. Because he's getting ready to go into the rest of this Sermon on the Mount, and he's going to talk about raising the standard, and he doesn't want people to think that he doesn't appreciate the law, and he doesn't want people to think that he's creating even more work for us to do. What he's trying to help people see is that there's one way that we won't miss the point. Instead of minimizing or maximizing the law, we need to accept the fact that Jesus finalized the law. He said, I didn't come to abolish it. I came to fulfill it. Which is why, so when he said that to the Pharisees in John chapter 5, verse 39, when he said, you search the scriptures because you think you can find eternal life in them, but you, the, the scriptures point to me, the very next verse, this is what he says, yet you refuse to come to me to receive this life. It's like that, that law that you're maximizing, it's pointing to me, but you refuse to come to me. You'd rather stay in the law instead of coming to me. The way that we won't miss the point is if we come to Jesus and receive life. Paraphrasing, but I think Jesus looked at the people that were on the mountain for that sermon, and here's what he said. All of the 613 commands that you've been striving to do just made a temporary way for you to be with the Father, but now I'm here, and I'm the way. I am going to fulfill this law. And this was revolutionary for them. It's revolutionary for us. He didn't minimize the need of the law. He didn't maximize the practice of the law. He finalized the requirements of the law. So here, the righteousness that exceeds the Pharisees, what is that exactly? If they worked so hard to keep all 613 laws, do we have to work harder? Is that what Jesus is saying? You better do better than those guys. He's not saying that at all. He's not calling us to greater work. For righteousness, he's calling us to a deeper work of righteousness. He actually wants to make our hearts righteous, not just the outside. That's important. I think the Pharisees were content to just practice a law that made them look righteous. Jesus promoted a law that could actually make us righteous. So he's advocating a deeper work. Listen, a righteous heart leads to righteous action. Turn to the person next to you and say, righteous, dude. (laughs) Well, that was a flashback to Nemo. And even before that, like the 80s or something. (sighs) I need to get that out of my head. (laughs) A righteous heart will lead to righteous acts. So what you see with the Pharisees is they were trying to go outside in, right? So I'm going to. Get these 613 laws. I'm going to memorize them. I'm going to learn the Mishnah. I'm going to protect myself and make sure that I I am achieving what looks like righteous acts. But they never cared about their heart. I mean, sometime today, go home and read Matthew 24 and all the things that Jesus said about the Pharisees. And again, I don't think that he was coming down hard on the Pharisees because they didn't love the law. I think he was coming down hard on the Pharisees because they had it backwards. They were trying to look good on the outside, and he said, but you're like, a, you're like a 
coffee cup that you never even cleaned on the inside. And I mean, I've picked up those coffee cups in the morning, right? The ones that are on the counter that you think were clean from the night before, and you're like, oh, put that down. He says, that's who you are. Because you're trying to go outside in. He said, but I've come to give you a deeper righteousness than that. I'm going to change your heart. I'm going to make you righteous on the inside. And then you're going to be righteous in your actions. The Pharisees weren't, were content with appearing righteous. Jesus wants us to be righteous. Math, uh, Romans chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. Just listen to this. Paul writes, Dear brothers and sisters, the longing of my heart and my prayer to God is for the people of Israel to be saved. That would include Pharisees, right? They were the Jews. Verse 2, I know what enthusiasm they have for God, but it is misdirected zeal. For they don't understand God's way of making people right with himself. Refusing to accept God's way, they cling to their own way of getting right with God by trying to keep the law. For Christ has already accomplished the purpose for which the law was given. And as a result, all who believe in him were made right with God. Listen, this can't be earned. It can only be received. And that's good news. Let me do this. Um, let me give you a, a one really practical takeaway, okay? One practical takeaway. Because I, I was telling um, the, the band, like, how do we end this service? And I said, well, like, sometimes there's teachings where you're like, quick, everybody run to the altar, right? And then sometimes there's teachings that's like, um, just go do it, right? Just go live that out. And I know right now you're thinking, like, how do I do that? I'm getting to that part, right? Just, just practice it. Just go do this. Just know that he has given you a righteous heart, and because Jesus gave you a righteous heart, you can now live righteously. You don't have to earn that. That's a gift. He's changed us, right? Identity fuels activity. So here's, here's your takeaway. One practical takeaway. Are you ready? It's really deep. Get ready. Don't ignore the Old Testament. That's the whole takeaway. Don't ignore the Old Testament. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture, how much? All. All Scripture is inspired by God and useful by God to equip us, rebuke us, correct us, mature us. All Scripture. Listen, here's why I say that. Because when we read these passages in Matthew, I would say that if we were taking a poll, and we're not going to, so you're safe. If we were taking a poll of the modern church in America, my guess would be that most people don't read the Old Testament. And it's not because they don't love God or love the Word. It's because we have said to ourselves, well, Jesus came, so I'll just read the New Testament. But that's not what Jesus was saying. He didn't say, look, now that I'm here... Take all those scrolls and all the law and all those commands, just burn them up because I'm here. No, he said, I've come to fulfill it. Now listen to this. The Greek word for fulfill literally means to fill to the brim. What's your favorite? Oh, oh gosh, don't say this out loud. Just think about it. I was going to say, what's your favorite beverage? Holy cow, what answers will we get on that, right? But think about your favorite beverage. Just think about it. Don't say it out loud. Just think about it, right? Think about the beverage that you love so much that you would love to be given a cup that was full to the brim. 
Um, one of the things that it doesn't happen, well, it does happen actually most, most mornings is um, I'm an early riser, so I'll get up and I'll like maybe go for a run, uh, read a little bit in the Bible, you know, I'll drink a cup of coffee or, or 20. And, um, and then I'll, most mornings, I'll wake Wendy up carrying back a cup of coffee, right? Now, you know, you know well, we're getting some renovations done in our house, and so right now I'll wake her up before I get to the room because we have, like, stuff down on the floor, and when you step on it, it's like crinkle, crinkle, crinkle. Anyway, but when that's not there, I'll just walk in, I'll turn the light on, and I'll have a cup of coffee for her. Every now and then, I hit the 10-ounce on an 8-ounce cup. That's scary. So, like, it's coming out of the Keurig, and I'm like... You know, trying to, trying to, whatever. But I'll pick that cup up, and I will literally walk to the back of the house like this. Because that thing is full to the brim. You know what I'm saying? And she will kill me if I waste any of it. She loves her coffee. And it is such an accomplishment when I finally get there, right? Like, that's what he's talking about. He says, I came to fulfill the law like that. Everything in the, everything you've been trying to accomplish on your own, I'm going to accomplish it. Do you know what the other meaning of that Greek word is? And you, you'll learn this this week if you're, um, if, well, you can learn it even if you're not in a sermon-based community group. You can just download the growth guide and go through it yourself. I'd highly recommend it. Another meaning for that same Greek word is not just that he did it, but that he also does a work in us so that we're able to obey the law that we were originally intended to obey it. So we don't get to sit back and go, well, Jesus did it all. No, he did it all so that our hearts could be changed. I heard a preacher say it like this one time. Before Jesus, we read the Ten Commandments like this. Thou shalt not murder. That was pretty good. It's not comfortable for me, but that was a pretty good angry preacher voice. He said, but after Jesus, we should read it like this. Hey, I shall not murder. Because Jesus makes all the difference. He changes my heart, and now murder is not even an option. Why would I murder? Why would I want to do that when I have a changed heart? The problem is that we come to Jesus, and we still think of it in the other way. Like he's still going, you better not. But what he's saying is, no, I came to fulfill the law. All the requirements of the law, I'm going to fulfill it. And I'm also going to fulfill the law in your own heart so that you are recreated as a new creature and you can actually now do the things. And that's good news. And that's important. You know why? Everybody asked me why. Because the rest of chapter 5 is hard. He's going to say, um, y'all have heard not to murder, and I'm going to say quit calling people fool. I mean, how many of you felt con con um, conviction right there? You're like, oh, I, I didn't say fool in the car, but I thought it a lot, right? You know, like you can't think fool and go to Walmart. I mean, you can't go to Walmart and not think that. Like, we're going to read stuff like that, and we're going to feel lost in this little, holy cow, there's the standard, but now it's up here. And what I want you to know is he's saying, but no, no, you won't say fool. You won't because I've changed your heart. Another practical application, if you're going to remember to read the Old Testament, know this. Everything in the Old Testament is normative and relevant for Jesus' followers, but none of it can be rightly understood apart from Jesus. None of it. Why don't we bring animals to slaughter in church anymore? 
because Jesus was the lamb, right? And so uh, if, if you're interested in that, here's a resource that can help. I found this about six months ago, and I love, love, love this. It's called the Jesus-Centered Bible. They don't pay me for this. I just want you to know it's a good resource. And so instead of having red letters, it has blue letters. The words that Jesus spoke in the New Testament are blue. But in the Old Testament, every verse that points to Jesus is blue. So you can read the Old Testament and go, oh, wow. I thought they just like, like to dig a lot of holes. But it, there's a reason for that, and it points to Jesus, right? Great resource, Jesus-centered Bible. All right, is that good? Man, I got done early. Come on, let's stand up together. I'm going to pray, and, um, and then we're going to let the band, they're just going to, I'm going to say amen, and they're going to play us out. So you can stay and sing with them. You can dance on your way out, whatever you want to do, all right? Father, we thank you so much for today. Um, I'm so thankful to serve a king who loves all the word who validated all of the word. And I'm thankful that we can pick up this Bible and we can read it from cover to cover. And there's nowhere in this Bible that we could ever read that does not point to the king. This is not a book of rules and procedures. This is a book about a person. And that person is our king. He's our Lord. And we thank you for Jesus. I pray that this week, God, we would as a church body, we would begin to cherish the Old Testament even more than we do now. That we would find ourselves this week reading in Psalms or reading in one of the five books at the beginning and suddenly going, oh, wait a second, I see, I see Jesus. I see it. That's how he fulfilled it, God. And that we would be encouraged that he also is helping us to live it as well. In your name, Jesus. Everybody say amen. Amen. amen.